This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Amen. Aren't you thankful for our IMB missionaries? And uh, today is a very special day in the life of our church. Uh, it is, it's been our week of prayer, as you just heard uh, mentioned, uh, for our Lottie Moon offering. And today is our, is our end gathering for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, every penny of which uh, goes to, to send our IMB missionaries to the field and sustain them on the field, reaching the hardest peoples and places on earth. Our church's goal this year is $60,000. Uh, and so today is a different kind of service. At the end of the message today, I'm gonna invite you to come forward. We have boxes here in the middle and on both sides uh, where you can give. Many of you will give today. Some of you have, uh, give electronically or you may get, choose to give another day. That's fine. The Lord knows uh, when you're gonna give. It doesn't matter. But whether you give today or not, I wanna encourage you to come forward at the end and just spend a few moments in prayer. You know, maybe kneeling at the altar, maybe hold hands and, and pray. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for your role uh, in that part. They, they can't do it without churches like ours that, that send them. And so we are so thankful for uh, the amazing job that, that, that the IMB does. You know, I, was, I was thinking, Melissa and I were getting our gift together this morning. And I was praying in my office before I came out here. And just thinking about the fact, you know, that our, our church gets to partner and, and be, be a part of, of actually obeying what Jesus told us to do in the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. And, and through the IMB, you know, it, we're sending missionaries. We can know they're theologically solid, and we can know that they're methodologically strategic because they're going to the peoples and places that need the gospel the most, and they're planting churches. They're making disciples and planting churches so that the work's not going to just dissipate when they leave. No, they're training indigenous pastors to plant churches that are gonna be there long after our missionaries have gone to an, another place. And so that's what we get to do as we give to send and sustain uh, these missionaries on the field. So let's pray together as we, we begin. Father, we do thank you that we get to be a part of a local church that has a global impact, that is actually taking seriously the marching orders that you gave to the church to go and make disciples of all nations, to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we get to touch the ends of the earth through our giving today in our end gathering. And so, Father, as we just saw, we pray that you would teach us to trust you. Wherever you place us, wherever you send us. And, Father, we pray that you would take your word today. Take the words of this great psalm and increase our love for you and to show us that the the only lasting home that we have is in you. And we pray that people around the world would find their home in you. 
For as we just sang, only you can satisfy. And to the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So we began a new series uh, last week called Home for Christmas. And so what we're doing this Advent is we're, we're looking at different psalms that have the theme of coming home to God. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 84. And we just sung part of the words of, the, of this psalm uh, just a few moments uh, ago. Psalm 84 if you would turn there in your copy of God's Word, and let's look at it together and walk through it. Longing for home. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself, where she places her young, her young near your altars, the Lord of armies, my King and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water, even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. Lord God of armies, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. Consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun, a shield. The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. 17 days before, after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, 70 days after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, Bing Crosby debuted a new song on the radio. It was called White Christmas. And at the time, it, 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 it was barely noticed. The song really took off in the fall of the following year, the fall of 1942, when by that point, millions of Americans had been deployed around the world as we were in the thick of World War II. And so our, our troops could not be home for that Christmas, but they were longing for home. And that fall, the movie Holiday Inn came out with, with Bing Crosby. Melissa and I just watched this this past week. It's as wonderful as, as ever. But there's this beautiful scene in Holiday Inn where uh, Bing Crosby and Marjorie Reynolds are sitting by the fire and then Bing gets up and walks over to the piano and begins to sing White Christmas and she, she joins in, in that song. And it just struck a chord in, especially in the troops that were deploying around the world. The, the curator of the National World War II Museum in New Orleans, which I was able to visit this past summer. I highly recommend this if you were in the New Orleans area, it's amazing. But the curator of that museum said this about White Christmas. The nostalgic 
and introspective lyrics struck a chord that exemplified the national mood at the time. The desire to be home for Christmas was a feeling that was amplified by the war. Longing for home. That's what the psalmist is doing here in Psalm 84. Longing for home, but a different kind of home. An ultimate home, an eternal home in God. Now, what are the implications of that for our lives? And what are the implications, as we think about our in-gathering today, the implication for people around the world who need to find a home in God? So what do we see in this psalm? First of all, we see a yearning for home in verses 1 and 2. Check out verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. Now, the dwelling place that the psalmist is talking about here is the, the temple in Jerusalem. That was, symbolically, that was where the dwelling place of God was for an Old Testament Jew. And he says, how lovely is your dwelling place. The temple was a lovely place. In preparation for this message, I went back and read 1 Kings 7, which describes what that first temple was like, Solomon's temple. It was, it was constructed of the choicest cedar, costly stones. There were pillars of bronze, and, and, and carved into those pillars were engravings of things like lilies and pomegranates. That sounds like a garden, doesn't it? Intentionally so. You see, our first home was in a garden, the Garden of Eden. And we lost that home because of sin. And so now, in the words of the novelist John Steinbeck, we, are, we dwell east of Eden. We're away from the, the perfect home that we lost. And that's why we never feel completely at home here in this fallen world. C.S. Lewis saw that as evidence for the truth of Christianity. He says in Mere Christianity, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. The writer of Hebrews says this about Abraham in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The Bible begins with a perfect home that was lost and the Bible ends with a perfect home that is restored, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and earth. But in between, and we live in between, there's a yearning for home. And he tells us about that yearning here in verse two. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord, but not just the, you know, the building of the temple itself, but for God. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. This sounds very much like Psalm 42 and verse one, where the Bible says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so 
pants my soul for you, O God. The New Testament talks about the temple as well. But in the New Testament, the temple has been transformed from a building in a certain place to the people of God, to those who are in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He's talking about the church, the people of God. You are God's temple. Ephesians 2 and verse 22, in him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, Peter refers to the church as living stones, right? Living stones and costly stones. Costly, why? Because we have been purchased with the precious blood of Christ. And now he has created us to be, Peter says, a royal priesthood. What does a priest do? Brings people to God. And so, you know, even today, as you come forward today with your offering, you're functioning as a royal priesthood because you're helping people around the world to be brought to God. There are people around the world who are like that deer who live in a dry and thirsty place where where there is no water, longing for God, panting for him. They need the good news. You can enable them to hear it. Yearning for home. Second, happiness at home. Happiness at home. Let's look at verse three. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for herself where she places her young near your altars, the Lord of armies, my king and my God. Now, part of the temple complex was outside. So when you hear about birds, don't imagine them kind of flying around inside of the temple. Part of it is outside. And no doubt, this psalmist had seen these little birds building their nest in the eaves that were of of the outside part of the temple. He mentions two kinds of birds, sparrows. You know, Jesus talks about sparrows, right? John chapter 10 and verses 29 and following, Matthew 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. In other words, if God is so sovereign, so in control of things, that not even a little bird, a little sparrow, falls to the ground apart from his sovereign will, how much more does he see you? How much more is he taking care of you as one of his children? Mahalia Jackson sung it, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he's watching me. Yes, he is. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great, uh, the great pastor from Philadelphia said this about that verse. Barnhouse said, I look down some little street and see a humble chapel where a group of simple people worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. 
despised and rejected of men, even as was their Lord. And I know the rich reality of the spiritual truth. Here are the sparrows who find their nest at the cross of Christ. When I read that quote by Barnhouse, I thought of the persecuted church. I thought about brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are persecuted for their faith, who you are also blessing today as you give because the missionaries that you send are such a blessing as they come alongside persecuted believers around the world. But as Barnhouse talks about people who are despised and rejected of, of, of men, but close to their Lord, that's the persecuted church. And we get to come alongside those brothers and sisters as we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And then he talks about swallows, right? He says in verse three, and, and a swallow, a nest for herself where she places her young. Now swallows are incredibly active little birds, darting restlessly here and there, feeding on the, the, the wing. But when it comes time to raise their young, they, they will settle down and rest. We find no rest apart from God. It's when we draw near to him. You know, Augustine said, our hearts are restless, O God, until they find their rest in thee. As we draw near to him, we find our, we find our rest. Look at verse four. How happy are those who reside in your house who praise you continually. Happiness is not found away from the Father. Jesus tells the incredible parable of the prodigal son. Happiness was not found for the son in the far country. It was found near to the Father, in the Father's house, in his presence. That's joy, that's happiness. David says in Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Have you been looking in the wrong places for happiness? Happiness is found near the Father, not, not away from him. And there's only one way to the Father. Jesus says it in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Today you are enabling that message of the gospel to get to people around the world that people can draw near to the Father who alone is the source of happiness. The third thing that we see here in Psalm 84 is the journey home. Let's look at verse five. It talks about a journey, a pilgrimage. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Now, he's talking here about the pilgrims who would, who would go from, from all over the villages and towns and Israel and even beyond Israel, and they would go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem at appointed times. We too are on a pilgrimage, right? John Bunyan captured this in Pilgrim's Progress, right? The character Christian who stands for every Christian goes through all kinds of you know, trials and different things on his pilgrimage, on his way to the celestial city. That's us. We're not there yet. We haven't arrived. We're on pilgrimage. 
And sometimes there are trials on that pilgrimage. Look at verse six. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. They make it a place of springs. Now, the word Baca means weeping. This is a valley of tears, a valley of, of, of weeping. And yet he says here that, you know, as these, as these joyous pilgrims filled with the Lord, as they pass through these, these valleys of, of tears and weeping, you know, that, that, that dry desert area, that place of weeping becomes a place of just springs, water springing up. But we all pass through valleys of Baca. On our pilgrimage, we are going to pass through times of tears, painful times, valleys of weeping. We've all been there. You may be there today. There's just such a word of encouragement here. When you think about springs coming up in, in a time, in a place like this, a, va a valley of weeping, and yet, in that very place, if you dig down, there are vibrant springs. If you're going through a painful trial and hardship today, let me encourage you. By the grace of God, you can dig blessings out of those hardships. Those very, those very most painful things can become the times and the places where the, the water wells up and God does something unbelievable, unexpected. And this goes right to the heart of our faith, right? Because what was, what's the most horrible thing that we can imagine? The cross of Christ. And yet, on that cross, in the most horrible thing, on the outside, God was doing something beautiful because it was on that cross that our salvation was being secured. As Jesus was atoning for our sins, and so by his grace, you can dig blessings out of hardships. That, that valley of weeping can become a place of springs. And second, your trials will not last. What does he say here? As they pass through the valley of Baca. You pass through it. It's not going to last. No. God has better things prepared. And he'll get you through that time. But I want you to think about verse six in relation to what our missionaries do. Because our missionaries are, are moving and they are moving intentionally to the valleys of Baca of the world. They are moving to the places that are most desperate, the most in need, the most spiritually dry places where there is no spiritual water. Places of tears, places of weeping, because there is no gospel. There's no good news. They're moving intentionally there to bring, to, to, so that in that very place, in that saddest place, in that hardest place, in that most spiritually dry place, the spring of living water can come up 
as people hear the gospel and come to know the Savior. And so as you move forward today with your gift, you are enabling missionaries to move to those places that tears of desperation can become tears of celebration as people come to know Christ and praise him and one day we will all praise him together in the new heaven and earth. Look at verse seven. He says they go from strength to strength each appears before God in, in Zion. In other words, as, as these pilgrims get closer, closer to the goal, you know, closer to Jerusalem, right, their strength increases because it's, it's, they know it's close, it's close, it's coming. It's kind of like in a race, right? If, if, you know, when, you, when the finish line is in sight or when you know you're in that final mile, right, there's a second wind that comes. You get stronger. We get stronger in the race that we're called to run as we keep our eye on Christ. Hebrews 12 and verses one and two says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance to the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Keep your eyes on Jesus, and you'll go from strength to strength. The journey home, and then forth, the God of home. Beginning in verse 8, the psalmist is addressing God directly for the rest of the psalm. Look at what he says in verses 8 and 9. Lord God of armies, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. Consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. Now, in its original context, this is a prayer for the king. The Davidic king would have been the anointed one. But see, those Davidic kings, those anointed ones, point to a greater David. They point to the, a greater anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And so when we pray this, when we pray to the Lord to consider our shield and to look on the face of your anointed one, we're praying for God to look at the face of Christ who is at his right hand and who is our advocate and who is interceding for us. Verse 10, we sung it earlier. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. The lowliest job in the service of God, being a doorkeeper at the threshold, a part of the temple, is so much greater than the highest worldly position that is gained through wickedness. Verse 11. He says here, um, if we could just show verse 11 on screen. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He's a sun. 
He is the light of the world. He is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. He is our shield. He is our protector. And he withholds no good thing from those who live with integrity, from those who walk uprightly. He has already given us the greatest thing. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God has already given us the greatest thing, which is his son, is he, if he hasn't withheld his son from us, is he going to withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly? Is this good news? We want the world to hear it. And today we get the opportunity to send messengers with this message, to herald this message of good news. Romans chapter 10 and verses 13 and following says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Let's send some messengers today to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. as we prepare for our end gathering in just a few moments, think about your role in the Great Commission. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? How does our church do that? How does an individual family do that? How does an individual Christian do that? We can do that if we're, if we're partnered with something like the IMB that is sending messengers around the world. As you give, what that means is that you are as much a part of the team as those who go because they cannot go unless they're sent. They count on us. They count on churches like us to send them, to keep them on the field. And what a difference they are making as the darkness is being pushed back in the darkest places on earth. You are directly a part of that through this offering. People are longing for home the ultimate home that is only found in Christ. We must get that message to people. And so, Father, we pray that as we have the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing around the world, to literally touch the world with the gospel, Father, we pray that you would help us to give cheerfully to give in faith, believing that what we give 
is going to make an eternal impact for your glory. Lord, help us to come now with joy in our hearts, a song in our lips as we give. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 